Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Olivia Mentor. And today we are joined by author and friend of the pod, Ashley Winstead, to talk all about her new book, Midnight is the Darkest Hour. And then we also have some of our own spooky, witchy book recs for you. And Ashley has some too, other than her own book, of course. So I think we have a nice smattering of spooky books for you. A smattering of spooky. That could be your (laughs) memoir. Ooh, I like it. (laughs) But before I get into that, let's do some highs and lows. Tell me your high. My high is that I am leaving for England tomorrow. I am doing my second group trip with Trova Trip. And then I'm going to visit my friend who lives in England And in there, I have a few solo days as well, which is kind of funny because originally Jake was going to go with me on this trip, but he's not now. And one of my goals for this year was to go on a solo trip. So I kind of The universe provided. It did. So I'm really excited. I've been making my little itinerary and my uh, creativity guide for the people going on the trip. And I'm really excited to journal and to go to the Cotswolds and to tour a castle And I have a lot of outfits planned that are all just like shades of brown, which sounds not exciting, but I'm very into brown right now. I'm happy for you. I'm just excited. It's been a really long time since I've traveled. So substantially, I should say. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to live vicariously through Instagram. What's your high? I have a little high. So do you remember over the summer when I threw out my back so badly? I do. I seem to remember a balloon arch yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have your own traumatic memories related to it. <laughs> so I feel like it was like a wake-up call for me about my body breaking down and longevity. And so I went back to Pilates. I used to be really devoted to Pilates before the pandemic. And then I moved to Brooklyn. And then I found a new studio in Brooklyn, but then it closed during the pandemic. So anyway, I went back to Pilates. And it's been about two months. And I'm just really, really proud because I can feel myself improving that things that were really hard are now getting less hard. And then also I just feel more limber in general. I don't know. It just feels really good. Good. That was one of your goals, right? That you went over like mid-year. Didn't you say you wanted to get some sort of workout routine? Am I imagining this? I don't know. Maybe. I swear. I say a lot of things. Well, you did say you wanted to get back into Pilates repeatedly. So here I am back into it. I'm very happy. I'm very happy for you. That's commitment. That's a really good feeling. Yeah. And hopefully I'm also strengthening my back muscles. So that never happens to me again because it was the most pain I've ever been in. Well, you know, that actually does remind me. So in the Outer Banks, I don't know what it was with the bed that we were sleeping in that house, but it messed up my back so badly. And it's only now like five days after getting home, starting to return to normal. And I was like, and I like couldn't bend over normally and I couldn't put on pants normally. And I was like, what is happening? So I too need to strengthen myself. You're my inspiration. Oh, One thank day. you. <laughs> What's your low? Uh, my low is taxes. So the worst part about being self-employed, and there are many good parts about being self-employed. The worst part is that you are responsible for your own taxes. So you get your paycheck And then a few times a year, you just have to pay massive sums to the government and seeing it all leave your bank account at the same time is really horrific. And last week, I I don't know what had happened. There was something where my taxes hadn't been calculated correctly 
for New York City specifically for year to date. And so I had to pay a catch-up payment that was more than expected. And all of a sudden, somebody was like, okay, go pay $9,000 to New York City. And I was like, what? Like you missed it or something? I don't know. Like, I'm not positive what happened. Taxes aren't my strong suit, <laughs> well, but I do someone trust you. my tax professionals. <laughs> That's good. But just the pain of seeing that money go out in such a lump sum as opposed to it being taken out of every paycheck or it never going into your bank account to begin with is, whew, it's a rough part of self-employment. What about you? What's your low? Uh, my low is that the stink bugs have returned. I don't know if I've talked about them on here before, but in... April, these stink bugs just appeared everywhere. They're in windows. They like to hide in curtains and we have pest control, but like, they're always just like, yeah, I don't know. The guy, guy's name is Kevin and Kevin is always just like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm like, I don't, you should be able to tell me something given your profession. But anyway, they went away for the summer and literally the beginning of this week, they just appeared and they are everywhere. I mean, I'm looking around this room right now. I saw two. There was one crawling across the desk the other day. It's just, they're spiky and prehistoric looking. They're like really, really like dense. So when they fall on the ground, it it makes a sound. They have some weight to them. They're chunky. Now, where does the stink part of it come in? Well, if you kill them, they emit an odor. So you have to gently gather them in paper and then flush them down the toilet. That's the best way. I just Googled Uh, them. I don't know that I've ever seen one in real life. Or I might have, but I just didn't know that's what it was. Well, if you visit in April or October at any point in the future, you will see them. Stink season. But I I have grown used to them, strangely. Anyway, it's just annoying. It's just annoying. Well, let's get into this interview. Olivia, do you know what weather it is outside? I think I do. But tell me. It's cozy earth jogger set weather. It is. You're right. You're right. I am so, so happy about this. If you've been here for a bit, you know that we both got completely addicted to these loungewear sets last fall, winter, and they were in heavy rotation. So I broke mine out the other week when I had to go to DC for a book event on the train. And it is hands down my favorite travel outfit because it is comfortable but it's also tailored enough that it still feels put together. And even after a subway ride, a three and a half hour train ride and an Uber, I got to the hotel without the set getting wrinkled or saggy, which is the ultimate travel win. If you haven't heard of the brand before, Cozy Earth makes everything from the loungewear Becca and I are obsessed with to fantastic PJs to sheets that landed on Oprah's favorite things list. All of their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo, and as the brand name suggests, are incredibly soft and cozy. Also, please do not check out without adding a pair of my favorite thin, not too hot, but super cozy socks to your cart. You will not be sorry. Their pieces are a little bit of a splurge, a little luxury, if you will, but we have a fantastic offer for Bad on Paper listeners. You can take 35% off at CozyEarth.com with code BOP. Again, that's 35% off at CozyEarth.com with code BOP. I think I might have to use the code to get another pair of the joggers in navy to broaden out from my two pairs of black ones.
Ashley Winstead is the author of five novels, including her latest, Midnight is the Darkest Hour. She's an academic turned novelist with a PhD in contemporary American literature. She lives in Houston with her husband, their two cats, and a beloved wine fridge. Welcome again, Ashley. (laughs) Back to the pod. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back here. Thank you for having me. Well, last time you were here, you were here for our How a Book Gets Made series, and we were talking more about the behind the scenes of publishing. But now we are very excited to talk to you both about your upcoming, well, I guess when this episode goes live, it will be recently released book, but also your fall spooky wrecks. Yes. By the way, I learned so much on that podcast we did together, like listening to Christina talk about behind the scenes. From a publicist perspective, I send that podcast episode to everyone I know. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Well, I'm obsessed with your podcast and both of you. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, fall and spooky wrecks. Like I can't imagine a better topic. This is like the season I live for. So I can't wait to get into it. Do you live for it? Because we were just talking before we started recording that you're in Texas and you're trying to will fall and it's gone from 105 to 95. Do you consider yourself a fall gal, even though Texas fall weather is not maybe what we think of with the crisp air and the turning leaves? I am such a fall girl. And I think that it's like even stronger because I have to imagine fall so much. It's like (laughs) I'm fully committed to it intellectually and emotionally, though I'm not like living in the fall reality yet. I would say weirdly, Texas fall weather happens around between November to February. So I get a little stretch there where everyone else in the country is experiencing Christmas and winter. And I like want to have my little jack-o'-lanterns out. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I felt growing up in Florida. So I can totally relate to that. I also feel like fall is kind of a state of mind, a state of being. So (laughs) you can make it happen. (laughs) That is my total philosophy. Yeah, I'm always in fall. So are you like a seasonal reader? So when fall comes around, are you like, instantly reaching for the darker books or are you kind of like a year round, I'll read anything, anytime kind of person? For the most part, year round, anything, anytime. Like, in fact, I love Christmas books at the start of summer because I just like, (laughs) you know, enjoy to be mentally somewhere else. But there is something really powerful about when you start seeing like the Halloween decor come out in your neighbor's, you know, yards and turning to a kind of darker... So I I do actually tend to put aside my rom-coms and start to reach a little bit more for my thrillers, my dark academia, my spooky urban fantasy. That's like, I want to be where the witches are when it starts. (laughs) So like, yeah, get a little That's the tagline for this episode already. Done. (laughs) Do you have like, do you have fall accoutrement? Like, do you have a fall reading setup? Like, are there blankets? Like... Is there a pumpkin spice latte? Like what is... Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a whole mood. So, oh, it's a whole mood. Like I... (laughs) This is going to sound... Make me sound like I'm like a 75-year-old woman, but... We encourage um, that. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. I have like spooky wreaths that I've decorated and made myself that like go up on the front door. Yes. They've got like little faux, you know, spiders and everything on them. Everything pumpkin flavored and pumpkin spice that can be acquired at a grocery store. <laughs> Which is anything. Comes into my cart. Yeah. I mean, like, no matter how disgusting it, it, it sounds, like pumpkin spice flavored turkey deli meat. I'm like, you know what? I'll try <laughs> it. You know, uh, why not? So, yeah, everything comes in and it's just like, I want to be 
buried in blankets with a pumpkin spice or apple cider kind of like hot in my mug and just read all the spooky things. Olivia, are you a pumpkin spice person? I don't know this about you. I like a little bit of pumpkin creamer in my coffee, but like I'm not like at Starbucks in August asking for Mm. the pumpkin spice latte, but I'll try like I'm really excited to try the new pumpkin cold brew and and all those things. Yeah, I love it all as well. I haven't put up decorations yet, but soon. soon. Yeah, you have an old house. You need to. I feel like it's a requirement. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, it's true. true. I'm excited to just get a lot of pumpkins this year. Screw pumpkins. Like, I want you to have like a anatomically correct skeleton. A 12 foot tall skeleton? Sure. Any height. I did get that Facebook group suggested to me. Do you know there's a whole Facebook group of just the people that own the 12 foot skeleton from Home Depot? And they like post photos of them in different. It's like a society, a secret society of, I don't know, (laughs) Halloween people. Look for them. I feel like I would be friends with these people. I feel like they would really like your books, (laughs) both romance and thrillers. I found my niche finally. No, I don't know that this is your niche. Olivia is in multiple. fall and Halloween themed (laughs) Facebook groups. And based on the (laughs) excerpts that she sends, like it seems like some of these people have left the planet Earth. (laughs) And I love them for it. Do we blame them really at this point? Yeah, it's not so great here. Much better in 12 foot skeleton world. (laughs) (laughs) They need an outlet. Okay, so we're talking about spooky fall reads and picks for fall. And one of mine is Midnight is the Darkest Hour, which is your newest novel and coming out in October. Um, October 3rd, correct? Yes. Yes. So just in time for the 12 foot skeleton season of it all. Can you give us and our listeners a pitch for it? Well, first of all, thank you so much. I've never been a spooky timed release before, but I feel I don't know why. So I'm really excited that finally one of my books is like coming out in my favorite season. So my pitch is one that I'm going to steal blatantly, but with permission from a HarperCollins publicity associate. And she said that Midnight is the Darkest Hour is the only book that stages a metaphorical battle between Jesus and Edward Cullen. And I just thought that that was... You just summed up literally my high school experience. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so perfect. I know, like hats off. Her name is Sarah. Sarah, thank you for this gift you've given me. Because, you know, when you're so close to your own work, it's hard to summarize it in one line. So this is a gift that I've been given. But yeah, Midnight is the Darkest Hour opens in like a very small, deeply religious Southern Baptist coastal Louisiana town. And a skull has been pulled out of the swamp. And this is a, like I said, very religious town. Everyone is very morally upright. There hasn't been a homicide in decades or so they've thought. So everyone is kind of bewildered, astonished, and deeply fearful when the skull gets pulled out of the swamp. No one knows who it belongs to or how it got there, except for the preacher's daughter, our protagonist, Ruth Cornier, who feels she knows exactly where this came from because she thinks she's the one who put it there. She's hiding this secret and she has for many, many years. So um, that's the kind of launching point of this book. And 
she then has to commit without giving too many spoilers just a few more small crimes like just a little bit more crime <laughs> to kind of cover up this horrible dark secret that she's been holding on to with her best friend the town outcast whose name is Everett Duncan they've had the secret so just a few more crimes to kind of cover it up throw the sheriff off their tracks and frame someone else who deserves it a little bit more than they do and dark and spooky things happen from there lots of dark and spooky things (laughs) but not too dark i don't know it's like i felt like it was scary in like a a true blood kind of way like it's not like it's not like it's gonna like haunt your night or dreams or whatever but it's still dark and spooky and atmospheric i think i'm gonna try it Like, no disrespect to Ashley that I haven't read it already. Olivia just straight up told me that it would give me nightmares. And so I've stayed away. Say that I did not. I would not say it would give you nightmares. I'm such an Ashley Winstead fan. I just finished, I read your rom-coms out of order, but I just finished your first rom-com this past weekend. And so I, I just like feel like I need to check it out, even if I, even if I don't sleep for the rest of the month. (laughs) One thing I will say, well, True Blood was one of my I, comps that I had in my head writing oh. this. So I love that that came across on the page because it is very much that like suggestion or feeling that we're in a slightly different world that's a little fairy tale esque, a little bit yes. otherworldly. That's always like this question that kind of haunts the, the book. So I love that that came across. And one thing is coming off writing The Last Housewife, which was a really graphic, really dark book where the violence happens on the page for reasons, um, you know, that I kind of wanted to confront that. I really purposefully kept violence off the page for the most part in Midnight. So I think it is a much less intense reading experience for like the graphic dark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's correct. You said that one of your comps for this was True Blood, and you also said that God versus Edward Cullen was pretty much the summary of your high school years. What was the inspiration for this book? Like, is this something you've been percolating on since high school, or or where did this come from? (laughs) I assume I've been percolating on this from high school. I pitched this book to my agent as I said, Melissa, my agent's name, I want to write a book that captures that experience that a lot of us women have where in high school, we just lose our damn minds when we fall in love for the first time, usually with a really bad choice of a person. Um, Like, I don't know why this is such a universal experience, but we all just seem to go for like, not the greatest kind of guys. And then our entire system of morality that we've had for like the previous 16 to 18 years flips on its head, will burn the world down for this person. We are obsessed And I was like, I want to write a thriller that feels like that, that makes readers like remember that experience um, in their own lives. And I'm convinced that that feeling that young women have is like the same sort of feeling that people have who are religious devotees. And so I Mm. want to write a, I want to write a thriller about the search for transcendence via religion, violence, love all of these things and how they're connected. And she was like, sounds weird, but go for it. You know, like, <laughs> let's see. Um, so clearly, you know, I drew a lot from my own high school experiences. So 
I have to know, and for those who haven't read the book, Twilight is a reference point throughout the book. I need to know, like, was that always going to be part of it? Because, I mean, it's it's quite a, like, pretty consistent theme um, and yep. a big part of the main character's existence. <laughs> and, yeah, was that just always in your head that that was going to be a through line? Always. So for two reasons. One, the first is that the town Bottom Springs that Midnight is set in is the kind of town where books like Harry Potter and Twilight and Percy Jackson and anything that suggests, like, a cult are banned. Mm -hmm. Like this is the part of the country where book banning is rife, you know, and people are up in arms about, you know, witch books and wizard books and that sort of thing. So for me, you know, for Ruth, Twilight is a forbidden book. So she's allowed to read the Bible, but very much not Twilight. And so I loved the idea of choosing something with this kind of like occult feeling but the principal reason I always knew that I was going to include Twilight so strongly in this book is because people have torn Twilight to shreds since it was published. It, this is a series that is so beloved by young women and so torn apart and denigrated by everyone else who like men, people who literary snobs like it's just like the book that we all collectively, like, if I'm allowed to shit on. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I remember I used to be one of those people. I will like fully confess. I went to grad school um, and thought of myself as like someone with very, you know, uppercase elite literary taste. <laughs> and we were having in grad school, a bunch of us having a bunch of beers after class. And the conversation went to Twilight for some reason. And we all had took our turns, like kicking it, talking about the terrible writing. And oh my God, can you like believe you know, people went so crazy over this book and um, everyone's, you know, so obsessed with this stupid Edward Cullen. And my best friend in grad school who had taught elementary school before starting her PhD program said like, you know what, I'm going to stop you right there. Say whatever you want about Twilight, the writing quality, whatever. There are hundreds just from my own experience. So there has to be like hundreds if not, or like thousands, if not millions of kids who are reading because of yeah. picking up Twilight. She was like, I could not get my fifth, sixth and seventh graders to like read until I introduced them to the Twilight book. So say what you will. And that kind of like struck me dumb because I was like, yeah, I mean, a whole other thing none of us are considering is like what these books do in the world, what they mean to people. And also it made me reflect like, why is it that it feels so easy to kick punch down at Twilight? Mm -hmm. And of course it's because it's something that young women love. They love it obsessively. They love it fanatically in a way that feels mystifying to people outside of that fandom, but who then themselves love things fanatically and obsessively and no one is, you know, critiquing them the same way. So sorry for the yeah. long ramble answer on that. But it was like, I was determined to include Twilight in this book as a representation of the way that we belittle women and try to undermine their power. And I've always been fascinated in why people are attracted to, you know, like the bad boys and the the people that they know are going to mess them up. And so, of course, Bella loves her blood-sucking vampire. Um, <laughs> so that 
to me felt like a good metaphor for like the bad boys we choose in, in high school. It's very funny you answered that way because one of my questions was literally like, what made you want to include Twilight, even though it is so easily criticized by so mm-hmm. many people? And of course, for all the reasons you talked about, general misogyny probably being one of them. Being the top one, but, yeah. <laughs> but um, actually, it's funny. I wanted to mention, because I think you would appreciate this. My cousin, who is probably almost 10 years younger than me, a little less than that. Anyway, she's an English teacher now. She has a Twilight tattoo. And I'm like, Twilight came out when I was in middle school, high school. You're like a different generation than me. And yet it, it still has that kind of impact. So it just reminded me of that. I love that. Yeah. You know, I did a reread of, of the Twilight Saga before writing this book. And I had read it when I was younger and like flew through it. And it had that like spell casting power over me too even when I went on later to be like oh not good I think we all did I went through that phase too I was like it's entertaining but it's not good (laughs) yeah and it's like oh my gosh stop self um (laughs) and yeah and I rereading this there's uh in the later books in the later in the series there's this sentence that just like struck me so deeply and it's another I think probably another like tagline for midnight which is that Bella, from Bella's perspective, she says, like, I have always been a monster and like Edward, I'm finally a vampire to reflect it. You know, it was like Edward was my my bridge to becoming the monster I was always meant to be. And I was like, whoa, am I reading Twilight right now? Like, this is really profound. And I also think that it's such a, a universal feeling for young women who are often so powerless but feel their own potential to be dangerous or powerful, all of these things. And we're taught so often to look for that power in other people, the men that we, the boys we fall in love with, when really we kind of want it for ourselves. And yeah, that's, that just really struck me in that book. Profound, a moment of profundity. (laughs) Yeah. Let's take an ad break. This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Okay, so I'm going to be very honest here. I had absolutely no idea what to expect when I first tried out Stitch Fix. I wasn't entirely convinced that I needed it. And when I got a pair of jeans in my first box, I was pretty skeptical because you see... Jeans and I have a sort of complicated relationship, uh, not so great one, if you will. And the idea of receiving a pair of jeans chosen by a Stitch Fix stylist who is a stranger and having them actually fit seemed basically impossible. But let me just tell you, I texted Becca this the other day. I am a changed woman. The jeans I received in my order are hands down the most comfortable pair of denim I have worn in years and they fit perfectly. I am truly a Stitch Fix believer now. I got jeans in my box too that I wasn't expecting. They also fit great. And having just a pair of jeans that you put on, they fit and then it's done is a singular experience. And you can like sit down, walk around, everything. They're comfortable. They feel as good as if it just, it's, it's, it's great. It's like, I didn't have to spend three hours in a dressing room. Did I even (laughs) earn these? So Stitch Fix is the best way to shop new styles and brands. Think of them as your style partner. Your stylist will learn about your tastes and collaborate with you on looks you'll love without breaking the bank. You simply share your style, sizes, and budget with a quick style quiz, and Stitch Fix sends you five items in a fix right to your door. With your choices in mind and sizes from XL to 3XL, they find your perfect fit. 
You try everything on at home, you keep what you like, and you send back the rest. And shipping and returns are always free. The amazing pair of jeans I was sent aren't the only item that Stitch Fix sent me that I love. My stylist also chose a black long sleeve bodysuit, which also miraculously fits me perfectly. I'm definitely bringing it to London. Maybe the key to finding basics that fit and are comfortable was actually just letting someone more qualified find them for me, I guess, because I honestly have never worn a bodysuit before this one that I actually thought was comfortable enough to wear the entire day. So I'm feeling really good about Stitch Fix as a whole. Thanks, Stitch Fix. They just get me and they'll get you too. Try today at stitchfix.com slash BOP and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash BOP. Stitchfix.com slash BOP. That's how Twilight came in. How did True Blood come into this or influence this book? Mostly vibes. Um, Vibes. (laughs) Yeah. So both True Blood and True Detective were my. Mm vibe cornerstones and just like this idea of this vision of Louisiana as this place that is both a part of the United States but somehow outside of it for a lot of us because so much of it is still wild there is a certain amount of lawlessness to Louisiana I can say as someone who like used to work in criminal justice reform and you know like study justice systems like Louisiana needs a lot of work No, Um, am I making that up or like their own set of... Louisiana is a place where like judges very frequently are, you know, arrested for corruption, where it's just like the wild, wild west um, in terms of like backroom dealings. It is like on every criminal justice reformers, like top one to two to three list of places they wish they could get into and fix. So yeah, it's in many ways, it's really like this kind of other land. And I know everyone, like I have family in Louisiana, so they're going to laugh to hear this. And I'm sure like any (laughs) listeners who live in Louisiana will laugh. But yeah, when I was thinking of like, what place feels otherworldly just on its own merits, like the Louisiana swampland said that to me. Yeah. 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 Okay, before we move into spooky picks, I do want to say that if you like endings you don't see coming, <laughs> you're also going to have to read Midnight because I sat there with the book afterwards and I was like, I'm going to need a minute to think about this, which is my favorite type of ending. So if, if anyone out there is like me and enjoys that, definitely suggest picking it up. How would you sum up the ending in one sentence, Ashley? This is a question I didn't plan for, but I'm curious mm. just as someone who's read it. I would a couple say sentences. that the ending is putting the power of judgment in the reader's hands, Mm. which is a very fraught question uh, that Ruth, our protagonists, are constantly wondering, like, have I done something wrong or am I morally on the good side, you know, of justice? And that is left up to readers to decide. That came through for sure. And it adds to the spookiness. But anyway, okay, on to yeah. more spooky things. So Send me your therapy bills after to all <laughs> everyone who reads this book. Will do. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we asked you ahead of time to come up with four, three or four, whatever you want, spooky recommendations for reading. I broke them down into four categories, but you can just list them off if you want, or we can go by category. What, what would you prefer? 
Let's go by category. That's fun. Okay, cool. Okay, so starting with, I think, like the psychological thriller, I think it's a classic sort of spooky season book. What is yeah. what is your pick there? Okay, so when it comes to psychological thrillers, fall to me is dark academia season. Because, yeah. you know, you're back you're to speaking school. Becca's language. <laughs> yes. For me, I love um, If We Were Villains by M.L. Rio. I think that is just like a classic dark academia book and Bad Habits by Amy Gentry. So I'm double dipping there and using two examples. But If We Were Villains, I think has gotten a lot of attention, but Bad Habits by Amy Gentry hasn't. So I'd love to see more love for that book, which I think it deserves. But yeah, dark academia, psychological thrillers, perfect fall vibe. Now, what about for the girls like me? So cozy, not too scary, but still seasonally fall. I think this is like my favorite of the fall genres. So as soon as like the temperatures start to dip, I want everything like lightly paranormal, Mm. like urban fantasy. So we're like in a renaissance of witch romance books right now. I feel like it's just like... I mean, why have I not been reading them? Tell me what to be reading because I love a witch romance. Oh my gosh. They are everywhere right now. There's been a complete explosion of them. My personal favorite is the, what is it? The very secret society of irregular witches. Oh yes. By Sangu Mandana. I love that book. It's the perfect cozy vibe. I think Aaron Sterling slash Rachel Hawking's started the trend with the X-Hex, you know, a few years ago. Um, But yeah, like go hex yourself, Payback's a Witch. Like there's just so many amazing books. And I am a fantasy girly, I have to confess. Like that's how I got into reading and then writing. So my first book I ever wrote was a fantasy, which lives in my laptop. (laughs) It will never (laughs) see the light of day. But I am obsessed, like on the lighter end, with picking up my Alice Hoffman, you know, like practical magic. Mm -hmm. My favorite Alice Hoffman is Here on Earth. It's like kind of Alice Hoffman's take on Wuthering Heights. So if you haven't read it and you love a forbidden, oh my God, it's like, I think changed me when I first read it. And I love Sarah Addison Allen, like Garden Spells. That is just about, you know, anything where a witch is just kind of like living in normal society and, you know, has to fall in love and cast gentle spells. Like, that's what I want. That sounds lovely. I've never read any Alice Hoffman, but I, I think oh, I you should. this season. I know. I, well, I mean, I've seen Practical Magic, but like, it's not the same, I know. Okay, so moving on to something scarier. So I said too mm-hmm. scary to read with the lights out, which is basically like, that's how I know a book is really genuinely creepy is when I like have to turn the light on if I'm reading on my Kindle or something. So what have you brought for us for this category? So I know everyone's like scary meters differ. So I had said Delicate Condition by Danielle Valentine. Oh, um, I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, yes. to me, it's very scary. What's even scarier is that Ryan Murphy has adapted it for the latest season of American Horror Story. And it's like a modern day um, Rosemary's Baby. And I cannot even watch the trailer for this adaptation without like needing to like remind myself that everything's going to be okay. And like, it is just very terrifying. Wait, um, is this is. the Kim Kardashian season of American yes. Horror Story? Yes. 
Yes. It's based on this book, Delicate Condition by Danielle Valentine. So it's just like she had this one in a million publishing experience where like right after she got a book deal, I think it was like somehow the book manuscript made its way to Ryan Murphy and he wanted to adapt it. And like now it's coming out. Her book has only been out for, I think, a month and already the adaptation airs today. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It's nuts. That's, That's nuts. Wow. Talk about overwhelming. But yeah, that book I whipped through. Like I could not put it down, but there were parts of it that haunt me to this day. <laughs> like, yep. I Oh my gosh. Just like yeah. uh, body horror and that sort of yeah. stuff, which really gets me. Yes. Same. Okay. So for the final one, a wild card. So this can be anything that, that you think fits into fall for whatever reason. Okay, I have a fiction and a nonfiction choice. Fiction is Vampires of El Norte by Isabel Cañas. And I I was like, a historical romance with vampires. Like, huh, that was kind of like, you know, a head scratcher. This book sucked me in. I never wanted to not be reading this book. It is like the best love story. And it's actually only like mildly spooky with the vampires. So highly recommend it. And then on the nonfiction side is Savage Appetites by Rachel Monroe, which is a book about why women love true crime. And it is just brilliant. And so for me, that fits in fall because that's a dark read. So perfect for spooky season. Awesome. What a great variety. Yeah, something for everyone. (laughs) Thank you so much. We have a lot of reading to go do, but can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet if they want to catch up with you. I know you have some events coming up, so where they can find out about those and remind us the name of your book and when it comes out. Yeah, so Midnight is the Darkest Hour is out on October 3rd. You can find me on Instagram mostly. That's where I like to hang. So at Ashley Winstead Books. My website is ashleywinstead.com. And I am going to go do a lot of events for the next uh, month and a half. So I'll be kind of coast to coast and (laughs) yeah. And yeah, it's all up on my Instagram and my website if you want to check. Amazing. Let's take one more ad break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Becca, do you ever find that just as you're trying to fall asleep, your brain suddenly will not shut up? Always. I've talked about this before and know from experience that one of the best ways to make those racing thoughts at bedtime go away is to talk through them. Therapy gives you a place to do that so you can get out of your negative thought cycles and find some mental and emotional peace. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Being able to talk to a therapist every week about how my everyday habits impacted my mental health is probably the only reason I have been able to set and reset when necessary boundaries with myself when it comes to things like using my phone in bed the second I have an anxious thought or racing thoughts instead of, you know, just trying to work through them myself. I don't know if I would have held myself accountable to take care of myself had I not talked about all of it with my therapist at some point. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash bad on paper today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash bad on paper. Back to the episode. 
So now, Olivia, I feel like you are also an expert on spooky season book recs. And based on the popularity of our summer beach reading book episode, I really wanted to get some spooky season book picks from you too. So I was thinking that maybe we can run through the same categories. I think you're probably going to have more to add than I am, but I can try to add a few. Yeah. I mean, like we were saying, I think spooky season is more of a state of mind and I think it's like what you want it to be. So it can be as scary or as cozy or as both of those things as you want it to be. Great. Well, tell me your recommendation for your favorite psychological type thriller. So, I mean, I have a million favorite psychological thrillers, but I will talk about the one that a lot of people are talking about right now that I really enjoyed recently, which is None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. I know a lot of people wanted this as a book club pick and I did consider it. So I'm giving it a shout out here, but this is just a very fast-paced, super engaging thriller that is a little bit different. So the premise of it is a woman celebrating her birthday runs into a woman who has the same exact birthday as her at a restaurant and their lives kind of start to overlap in really interesting and spooky ways. The best thing I can say about this book is I could not stop reading it. So if you're looking for something that is a little bit creepy, a little bit psychological, but it's not like terrifying by any means. Uh, And you're really just wanting something that keeps you turning the pages and is a mystery and is on the darker side, but not disturbing. Although wait, I take that back. It is a little disturbing. (laughs) It's just, I think on like the spooky scale, right? One is like cozy mystery. 10 is like absolutely terrifying. I think it's like a four. So this got sent to me. I think I'm going to try this one because I'm very interested in the podcast host angle of it. Oh, you know, I think you'd really like it. I really do. I think you would. Okay, I'm going to try it. Now, what about, maybe this is an area where I can maybe contribute. What about a spooky season read that is more atmospheric than truly scary? Okay, yeah. So, So originally this category was like cozy reads, which I feel like you'll have some good ones for that. And I don't really know if I would describe this one as cozy per se, but it is incredibly atmospheric. And obviously we've just talked all about it, but it is Midnight is the Darkest Hour by Ashley Winstead. So I won't give you the whole pitch of it again, but if you're looking to just sort of be transported to a different spooky world, I would suggest this one. If you like True Blood, I would suggest this one. Okay. So Becca, do you have either psychological or like a cozy mystery, atmospheric, spooky read to share with the group to suggest? I have neither, but I, I made up my own (laughs) category that I would say it's atmospheric, but I don't know that it's cozy per se. So I feel like people have not gone back into the archives to loop back on Emily Henry's magical realism YA that she wrote before her romances. Oh, wow. You're going into, you're going into the, into the archives. Yeah. Yeah. So she wrote a book before Beach Read called A Million Junes, which is basically about the kids of two feuding families. And there's like a ghost element. There's definitely some like spooky forest element, but it's not scary in any way. And it is so, so good. I've heard it compared to like 
Gus and January from Beach Read if they were teens, but there were also magical realism elements. So I, oh. I feel like this book in particular, I haven't read her other YA books, are so slept on. So I wanted to recommend that. And then if you go way back into the archives, Grace and I have a book club episode about this from probably 2019, 2018, 2019. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, there you go. A suggestion with a book club episode. Here to please. I mean, the other one that I recommend that also has a book club episode, it's so weird because it is a book that takes place over summer, but it feels so fall to me, is The Cloisters by Katie Hayes, which there's a historical mystery in it about finding the first tarot deck. And the whole thing has very spooky vibes to me. Again, not too scary, but it takes place over summer and they talk a lot about like the sweating and the sweltering, but the book feels so fall and vibe to me. Yeah. Midnight is Darkest Hour is kind of like that too. I think it is. It's Louisiana, so it's got to be hot, but like something about it just reads spooky season. I have a question for you, sure. which is that in my mind, most fantasy is spooky season. Oh, like, so do you think that like, because if someone were to ask me, when's the best season to read Akatar <laughs> or Fourth Wing, I would be like, yeah, definitely in the fall. So but, uh, is that just me? I see why you say that because of the paranormal elements to it. To me, those are January, February reads because those are, mm. it's too cold to go outside and I have a lot of time to spend indoors. And so it's more about me than the mood of the book. And it's like, that's when I want to get really deeply invested in a fantasy series. Okay. That Fall, makes sense. I want to go We're apple have to picking. I have activities. Oh yeah. I'm too it's busy true. to read 15,000 pages of Zodiac Academy, but in February. <laughs> For some reason, dragons to me just say fall. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know. Now, help me out with some recommendations here of books I should avoid in the category too scary <laughs> to read with the lights out. Yes, which I guess would require a Kindle. So when I wrote this, I'm or realizing now it you quite, can read it quite like, amazing. You know, like kids old under the covers. Yeah, but okay. So this one I've been thinking about because there's a movie version of it coming out and that is a Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam. I hope I pronounced that okay. But this is a story about a family vacation on Long Island where this couple opens the door and there are two strangers who are giving them the news that there's this like mysterious blackout happening all across the country. And then as the story progresses, the threat kind of becomes a little more intense and they have to decide how to survive the crisis. This to me was one of the most unsettling books I have ever read (laughs) for a lot of different reasons. This isn't like a traditionally like scary blood guts horror type of scary book, but it is incredibly incredibly unsettling, especially if apocalyptic things freak you out. That doesn't really give anything away. So I would suggest that I want to give an honorable mention if you're looking for a more traditionally scary, like there's someone in my house, like haunting kind of thing. The Whisper Man. I have never been more terrified reading a book. So that one. I will be avoiding that. (laughs) You absolutely should. Now let's get into wild cards. What didn't fit into those categories? What have you brought? Yes. So this is a book that I adored so much and it kind of encompasses all of these these categories in a way. And that's Mexican Gothic 
by Silvia Moreno Garcia. And this is set in 1950s Mexico. And it's about a socialite who goes to her cousin's home to save them from a questionable marriage. The mansion is haunted, potentially. And um, there are, of course, like family secrets. <laughs> and I'm reading the um, description of it because it's been so long since I read it and I wanted to make sure I had all the details right. And the end of this description just said, and also a lot of mushrooms. And oh. yes, that is part of the story as well. This is incredibly atmospheric, very different than anything I've read. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I'm actually like considering now rereading it. Ooh, high praise. And yeah, it's it's just different and great. Do you have any wild card picks that don't quite fit into these, but still just say like fall to you? Well, I brought two witch romances. Ashley did such a good job talking about some of the recent ones that have already come out. And I have two that are from this year that I wanted to plug that are on my to read list. So one of them is called Witch of the Wild Things by Raquel Vasquez Gilliland. And this just came out. I saw Katie from Beach Reads and Bubbly raving about it, which is how I got interested in it. And it's a magical romance. It's about a woman whose family is cursed and they all have witchy powers and she returns to her hometown and she needs to embrace her powers and she needs to work with her high school ex on some kind of mystery that is botanical in nature. Hmm. I'm very intrigued by it. And I'm even more intrigued by Katie from Beach Reads and Bubbly's strong recommendation for it. So I bought that one because it's also Hispanic Heritage Month and this writer is Mexican-American. So I was like, oh, double the reason to check it out. Yeah. So I was excited about that one. And then another witchy woman avoiding her own powers going back to a small town. Um, I listened to this <laughs> podcast called Hashtag Am Writing. And it's hosted, one of the hosts, there's multiple, is KJ Delantonio, who wrote The Chicken Sisters, which was one of Reese's book club picks a few years ago. And she has a new book that came out last month called Playing the Witch Card. And it is compared to Gilmore Girls meets Practical Magic, which really speaks to me. And wow, yeah, so again, it's like woman who has powers but doesn't want to use them, goes back to her small hometown. I think in this one, she opens a bakery. Um, and this one, the mystery has to do with tarot, which I always find really interesting. Mm, yes. So that I, sounds great. I bought both of these and they're in my pile to check out. Those sound amazing. Do you have any other picks for us or does that round out the picks? I mean, the only other thing that I was thinking of recommending, which I think most people have already read, but it's one of my favorite series. So I'll just plug it really quickly. Olivia, have you read the Discovery of Witches series by Deb Harkness? The first one. Okay. This is one of my favorite series. It is a witch vampire romance, but it's also an academia romance. So it's, I feel like it's much, I don't want to offend you or any Twilight heads, but it's much smarter than, you know, some of the vampire romances out there. And um, there's a historical element. I loved this series. And there's a TV show that was, I think it was only a couple of seasons with this as well. And the the acting in the show, the female lead is not excellent, but the male lead is great. But the cinematography is incredible. And it's set kind of all throughout Europe. And it's really spectacularly gorgeous. Isn't the main guy um, Matthew Good? Yeah. Which you'd think they'd pair him with someone who's a good actor because he's a very like well-established The female actress actor. is stunning. 
Leap Year. Have you seen it? It's his finest work. I, I really have know seen he's Leap a good Year. Actor. Yes. <laughs> um, the female actress is stunning, but she's a little wooden in my opinion. Okay. I think it's on like Hulu or Amazon or something. Like it's on one of the major st- streaming platforms now. When it was originally on, it was somewhere weird. And I remember having to pay for a right. service to get it. Which yeah. I did because I like now it. I think it's available. Oh, good. So if that changes anyone's mind. Yeah. If you missed it because it was on some weird network, now is the time. <laughs> well, let's get into some end matter. What's your obsession? Oh, so my obsession is this album by the singer's name is Blake Rose. And he's an Australian. I don't know. Like maybe he's like the Australian Noah Kahan. He's like kind of on the young side. And he has out hmm. a new EP the album is called You'll Get It When You're Older. And I like every single song on this so much. It's been on heavy repeat. I don't know if you relate to this or you feel this, but whenever I discover a young musical artist, especially one from another country, I always am kind of nervous that maybe they're like a TikTok star or something. And I'm endorsing. They probably are. <laughs> and it's like the equivalent of me being like, I want to tell you about this great new album by an artist named Dixie D'Amelio. And I'm just like completely <laughs> embarrassing myself to the Australians and or the young people in our audience. It's 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 always a chance. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But I'm, I'm standing by this wreck regardless of if he is a hype house star of Australia. So good. <laughs> I actually think you would really like this. It's a little rockier and a little poppier Uh than Noah Khan, but really, really good. Okay, I'll look it up. Okay. What about you? What are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with this recipe from the New York Times cooking app or New York Times cooking, whatever. White chicken chili. I made this for my night. I have two nights that I had to make dinner for everyone at the beach house. And... um, I loved it. I, I thought it was delicious. It was easy. So easy, in fact, that I made it from memory again last night. Oh. And it was like filling. It was just very satisfying and um, easy. So I'm I'm a big fan. I have to try this. I am a very big devotee of Half-Baked Harvest's white chicken chili recipe. So I need to compare these and mm. see if I need to switch alliances. I wonder if they're different. I wonder if they're different. I've never made it before and I've never actually had it before. So I have nothing to compare it to, but I'll check out that one too. What about reading? What are you reading? I haven't finished anything this week. I'm just, as I told you before we started recording, just running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to get ready for England and do work. But tune in next week. (laughs) What did you read? So I haven't finished it, but I started a book that I am enjoying immensely. And that's The Burnout by Sophie Kinsella. And it came out on October 10th in the US. And I don't know if you have a lot of teenage memories of reading Sophie Kinsella books. Like the Shopaholic books were coming out in real time when I was a teenager and I loved those books. And just kind of as a blanket rule, if Sophie Kinsella writes it, I will try it. And I opened this book and from like the very first chapter, first of all, it's very funny, but it is just so, it is my perfect type of British book. What is it about? So it's about this woman who is so incredibly overworked and burned out at her job. And she ends up kind of flaming out in really spectacular fashion. And she decides to go on a trip to this seaside resort in England that they used to go to when she was a child to kind of like rest and recuperate. 
And she goes in the off season and there's only one other person there who's this other grumpy guy. And he's just like everywhere she goes, ruining her time. So it's a romance, but um, Mm -hmm. so fun. There is this scene with nuns and I was actually laughing out loud. (laughs) That sounds really good. So that's what we've got for you today. We have our October book club pick next week called The Quiet Tenant by Clemence Michelon. And I am saving it to the very last minute to have fresh reactions, but I'm scared. The probably most popular review from Jordy's book club calls it Gilmore Girls if Luke was a serial killer. That is one way to talk about it, yes. (laughs) So we will be discussing that next week. Fair warning, there are trigger warnings for sexual assault. In the meantime, come to the Facebook group and tell us your favorite spooky season reads. Also, tell us what you think of Midnight is the Darkest Hour. In reality, it's pub week. I haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm so excited to. You can also find us on Geneva, where we have a group going there. It's kind of like a chat room app, and there is different rooms for all kinds of different cities. So if you're looking to find local groups, either a book club or people to meet up with to talk books, give that a whirl. Um, There's also rooms for different genres of books to kind of like make it so you're not seeing so much stuff that you don't care about as maybe more general conversation in the Facebook group. So just search Bad on Paper on the Geneva app if you use that or if this sounds appealing to you. And I am on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman and my book, The Christmas Orphans Club, is out everywhere. Who are you? I am Olivia Mentor and I am on Instagram at Olivia Mentor. (laughs) See you next week. 